Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. I, uh, this is a very familiar passage to a lot of us, but I don't think this passage gets old. I really feel like, you know, that's the amazing part of the Word of God, and I just want to encourage you that the Word of God is fresh and it's alive, sharper than a two-edged sword, that it's going to speak right to your heart in every situation, every circumstance. It's why we hold it close. It's why we believe that it's not just the inspired Word of God written by the Holy Spirit, through man, but it is living and active, and it wants to shape you and change you and transform you, and so today we're going to read John 4. I was inspired by John 4 because Keaton, Pastor Keaton, uh, not quite pastor yet, but on his way, right, on his way, um, Director Keaton of our youth ministry, they had an amazing time the other night at the skating rink, and so it was awesome, and uh uh, he preached upon uh, the whole idea that there's two wells. And you may remember this sermon two weeks ago, just the whole idea of happiness and how happiness is definitely fleeting. And he talked about the whole idea of what well were you going to draw from? Were you going to draw from your own well, your own resources, your, your own gods that you manufacture and carve up? Or would you draw from the well that God has for you? He referenced at the end of his sermon, John chapter 4, and the lady at the well. And so I wanted to revisit that today. I wanted to go back to John chapter 4, and I wanted to read this account for us this morning. And in John chapter 4, there's two characters that we really see. We see Jesus, and we see a Samaritan woman. And, and then there's some disciples and some other characters, but the primary are Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Oftentimes when we read scripture, we, we try to let scripture read us, if you know what I mean. Where as you read scripture, you start letting God speak to your heart and speak to you and speak to who you are and your situation and your circumstance. And, and when we read scripture, sometimes we do this replacement theology where we'll put ourselves in place of whoever's in there, right? Well, so we'll put ourselves in place of David, and you want to become one of David's mighty men, and all of a sudden you put yourself in those shoes, and you really do it as a child, right? Where you all of a sudden you want to start um, killing Goliath and attributing those things. So I, I want to encourage you, though, as we read this scripture, and you're looking at your life, and you're evaluating your life, you're going to see that um, th that there are two people in this story, and you're not necessarily directly one of these people, but there are circumstances and things that Jesus is speaking to that identify with your own circumstance. Does that make sense? So there's going to be some, some moments that you'll say, man, that is me. Man, I identify with that. That, that is so true. That's what, that's what I needed to know today. And so I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, do not be the Samaritan woman. And I'm begging you to not be Jesus. But I want you to be like Jesus. And if you're like the Samaritan woman, realize that Jesus has some specific answers and resources and love that he wants to give and impart to you this morning. So John chapter 4, verse 1. 
Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a, a drink. This journey that Jesus was on that we see was the direct, the, the quickest route to where he was going was through Samaria. Now, some people avoided Samaria because the Jews did not like the Samaritans. The Jews did not like the Samaritans because the Samaritans were considered a, a, a second-class people group. And there was a lot, of, a lot of despise against them. You see, when Assyria came and they conquered the Jews, that they actually took Jew, Jewish uh, women and began to have families and adopt families. And these are the Samaritans. And in this region that the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. In fact, the Samaritans actually ended up um, writing and rewriting some of the scripture that the Jews were begin to follow. They, they rewrote their scriptures and they started um, uh, attributing life to God, attributing life to, to, to um, um, looking forward to the Messiah and whatnot. But, but it was off. It wasn't the actual scriptures. It was much like maybe different facets that happen today um, out of Christianity. We see maybe some other religions that are not Christian, right? That they've taken the word of God and they've, they've taken parts and pieces out of it that are critical to our faith. And, and they chalk it up and, and some of those religions or like Mormonism would be one of those religions where they would take the Bible and they would rewrite and interpret its own its own way. And and so, as you notice, is the Jews did were not happy with that. Right. They were not happy with that. They did not agree with that. And so so they very much did not tolerate this people group. But but Jesus was on a mission and Jesus was on a mission, not just for the Jew. But he was on a mission for the Gentile. It wasn't just for the Jewish people, but it was for us today, you and me. He, he was on a mission. And in this moment, it was the 12th hour, and, or, or it was the 6th hour, which is noon. And this is when a woman came out from Samaria to draw water. Well, you didn't readily do this at noontime, right? Because that's when it's hot. You would either draw water early in the morning or late in the evening, but you wouldn't go at noontime. And, and the reason being, and what we'll find in this scripture, is that, that this woman oftentimes felt rejected in her relationships. And as feeling rejected, all of a sudden she moved into avoidance. And she didn't want to be around everyone that, that was around her. She wanted to be at the well alone. She wanted to be at the well because she was rejected. And if you're taking notes, that's my first point. Rejection leads us to avoidance. Rejection leads us to avoidance, that, that when we feel rejected in our soul, maybe externally feel rejected, all of a sudden we start avoiding those situations. We, we start avoiding them out of maybe shame or guilt or whatever it may be. 
I remember teaching the pre-K at Mid-Cities Church in Midland, Texas. I was 19 years old, and I was loving the pre-K class. It, it was the moment where you could just wrestle with kids, and, and we didn't really have a lesson back then. It was just like you just wrestle them, and then you read them a Bible verse, and then they go home, right? And anybody grow up in children's ministry like that? It's like, what can I do to keep these kids active? So the children's minister would recruit young, active people who could wrestle with these kids because when you reach, you know, late 30s, you no longer kind of want to wrestle kids all the time, right? Can I get an amen? It's just amen. <laughs> late dad life right there. And, and so I would wrestle these kids, wrestle these kids, and there was this one kid named Dalton, and man, he and I just connected, and man, it was just such a joy every Sunday showing up in the pre-K class, hanging out with him and loving him, and, and then I would send him on his way to his grandparents. They would come pick him up every Sunday. They would come and pick up Dalton from the pre-K class, and and I was just like, Dalton was awesome. He was amazing. Thank you so much. And and, and then I said, how many other grandkids do you guys have? And their response was, uh, Ben, we're not his grandparents. We're his parents. We're his parents. And all of a sudden, I felt like you do, very, very little. I, I felt very little. And... and you know, Jr. and Cheryl Richardson, they're just amazing people, and they love Jesus, and, and, and we're in this church, and all of a sudden, I, I felt in this moment like I felt a little rejected, felt like a little shame, a little guilt, and you know what I did for the next five years? I just avoided them. I was I avoided them like the plague. I was like, man, oh, dude, there they are. I'm going this way. All of a sudden, I quit walking Dalton out to the, to the door. I was like, see you later, Dalton. You know, like, I was just so embarrassed. And, and these moments, and I, haven't we all had these moments? Maybe, maybe not all of us. Maybe just extroverts, right? Those who think out loud all the time. And, and, and you know, where you call somebody pregnant and they're not. That's, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, these, these, these moments where all of a sudden you bring this awkwardness in the room and and I just, I realized, man, I started avoiding this couple and avoiding them. And it brought this insecurity in my life at church, at church. I was coming to church and I was this moment of 19 and didn't really know what to do after that. And, and, and so I started walking in different entrances and I started doing different things. And, and it took, I was like, maybe, maybe after eight years, you know, I could... I could approach them and talk to them again, and, uh, and I did, and they probably don't even remember that moment, you know, but, but I remembered that moment, and it, it was a moment that kind of like scarred me a little bit, and, and the truth is, is rejection leads to avoidance, and that's a silly moment where we're avoiding, we're avoiding because of maybe some guilt, some shame, some embarrassment, but how much more so if your guilt, shame, or embarrassment is something more significant than that? How much more so if there's something that, that's happening in your life and all of a sudden there was this, this rejection moment and so you started avoiding. This is what the Samaria woman felt like in John chapter 4 is that she had been rejected much and therefore she moved into this place of avoidance. But Jesus wasn't going to avoid her avoidance. 
Jesus was going to fill that void in her life. He was going to come and he was going to speak some truth into her life, some truth that she desperately needed. See, Jesus engages the thirsty. In John 4, 8 through 9, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Side note, this is a great leadership talk is that we see this multiple moments where the disciples are doing the baptizing and the disciples are also going to buy the food. Jesus was a master delegator. The Samaritan woman said to him, verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And this is the amazing thing is that Jesus knows no boundary when it comes to those who are thirsty. When it comes to those who need him, he was willing to go to any leap. He was willing to cross all these cultural boundaries. Do you realize the, the, the second-class citizens, yes, the Samaritans, there was this level of racism there that began to happen, and Jesus crossed that. But even more so, this inequality between male and female in this moment. In this culture, you realize Females were, were, were very second class. They, 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 were, they were very mistreated. And, and Jesus went to them to realize uh, their significance, importance in the kingdom of God. That they are equal. And I'm going to go to them just like I'm going to Peter. Just like I'm going to everyone else. I'm going to the women here in this place. He, he breaks down boundaries. He breaks down boundaries, and this is important for us because we're in a church that has longed to break down boundaries, the, the cultural boundaries, the cultural boundaries that exist from socioeconomical boundaries within our city. You see that um, everything north of 1604 lives in a different classification than everything south of 410, right? Um, there's this moment of these economical boundaries that exist in our city. And so what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we being a people who are across those boundaries, not just on a Sunday and not just in a life group, but that we would start crossing boundaries on the daily, that we'd start befriending and loving people who don't look like us or live like us. And we'd start Moving across these boundaries. So thankful that we're a church that does that. And we've been a church that tries to exist for that. That, that we say this, that, that if you come in here, we will love you and we will hug you. But we're not just going to love you and hug you when you come in here. But we're going to go to you. And we're going to be, we're going to start loving you intentionally. It was amazing because how many people are from San Antonio? Okay, yeah, like, that's what I thought, like 5% of the room. <clears throat> Everyone else is not from San Antonio, and, and I, I thought it was such a great opportunity when I moved here from Midland, Texas. You see, I, I grew up in a church that was, looked a lot like me, a lot of the same color as me, a lot of the same privilege and opportunity as me, a lot of the same education as me. I grew up in a city like that. When I came to San Antonio, it was a fresh start. It was a fresh start where I said, um, that where the Lord gave me an opportunity, I could love anybody I wanted, and you don't have any best friends yet, so you get the opportunity to start picking friends. And you know what friends I started picking? The ones who didn't look like me, the ones who didn't act like me, the ones who didn't listen to the same music as me, I started picking friends that didn't look like me or behave like me necessarily. I started picking people who were different than me so that I could understand this principle that Jesus 
wasn't just for a one people group, but he was for all people groups. And I wanted to live the gospel out in my life. And so I started making friends and, and it was awkward because I said some cultural faux pas, you know, like, why did I say that right then? And, and yet they knew me and they loved me and we could be friends together. And they, they accepted me even for my, my ignorance. And I got to accept them for their ignorance. And truth is, there's ignorance on both sides of every people group, of all people groups, because you just don't know what you don't know. And so we started being friends, and, and I'm so thankful, and it's because of Jesus, and not because of me, and not because of what culture says, because if culture defined my friendships, they would be different. If culture and the culture pressures defined my friendships from Midland, Texas, I'd be wearing a MAGA hat, right, and Wranglers and boots. I would, I would, I would look different. I would look different. Because it's true. It's like all of a sudden, you, you fall into what's culturally acceptable. But Jesus did not fall into what was culturally acceptable. He fell into this place of, I'm going to love how my father called me to love. And I'm going to engage how the father called me to engage. Jesus did this, and I'm telling you, it offended a lot of people. Jesus offended people. In this moment, we realized that Jesus wasn't just about offending people for offense sake, but it was offending people for the gospel's sake. He needed to get to their heart. He needed to get to the root of everything. He needed to break down idols and break down things. Things that were standing in the way of people worshiping him in spirit and in truth. He needed to get to that place with the people he was around. Jesus is a gift that keeps giving. He's a gift that keeps giving. In John 4, 10 through 15, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. In this moment that Jesus begins to describe is that he is a gift and he is a gift giver. He says that I have come and I am a gift to you and the gift that I give you is living water by me and through me and it's for you. And in this moment he speaks in such a way that he has this authority, this authority where she begins to hear these words and she begins to ask him, give me that living water. He hadn't even prophesied over her. He hadn't even done a miracle, but he was speaking with such authority that she was already thirsty. 
that she already wanted her thirst quenched in that moment. I want to tell you that when Jesus empowers you to speak, he's going to give you the same level of authority to speak into situations and truth where all of a sudden people are going to be hungry and thirsty for what you have to offer. They're going to be hungry and thirsty for the gospel and what Jesus gives. Sir, give me this water. Give me this water. See, I need this water. I need this water because I have a need. I'm thirsty. All of us need water. All of us are thirsty. We have a need. But Jesus didn't just speak to her need. He spoke to her wound. In this next moment, we see that Jesus speaks to her wounds in John 4, 16 through 20. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. In this moment, we see that Jesus starts speaking to her wound of this wound that she he starts prophesying, speaking to what's happened in her life. It was the reason that she was at the well on the sixth hour. It was the reason why she didn't want to be around anybody else. Because, you see, she was divorced five times. And in this culture, a woman didn't petition for divorce. It was a man who divorced the woman. And so five times she was sent away. Five times she was rejected. Five times over, she, she felt this deep wound. Can you imagine being rejected in this life partner, in this covenant relationship five times? It was this moment that was bringing wounds about in her, and he begins to speak in such a way. And and, in Jeremiah 2.13, it says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This moment, this woman, as Jesus is speaking to her wounds, and as he's speaking to her rejection, And she's been living this life of avoidance. He comes and he gauges her with truth. And she brings it into this spiritual conversation of we worship in this mountain, but you worship in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, she's bringing it to church. She's bringing it into this place of, 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 hey, this is the law and this is how it is and this is how it's supposed to go. But, But Jesus wanted to move it past this place of uh, of place of worship or a place of a mountain or a place of Jerusalem or a place of luminous church. He was moving to a place of, no, I want your heart. I don't want just your duty. I don't want just your duty in this moment. See, Jesus doesn't just speak to the wound, but and the wound of her going back to this broken place of worship that's not satisfying her. He starts removing the pain. See, Jesus, when he speaks to the wound, he'll remove the pain. In verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In this moment. 
we realize that his presence replaces her pain. In this moment that he being in proximity and he saying who he is, all of a sudden we see that that shame falls off of her, that guilt falls off of her, that what she was really looking forward, forward to had come into her place and into her proximity in that moment. You see, in Jesus' presence, not only will he come and bring you living water and he'll bring salvation to you. He's going to speak to the wound that you have of rejection, of shame, of guilt, of whatever you may be dealing with. And then he's going to come and he's going to replace that pain with his presence and his presence will be a moment of freeing for you a moment where all of a sudden you can start to believe differently you see he satisfies every thirst and every hunger john 6 35 jesus said i am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst and john 7 38 Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That in this moment, she responds to the Messiah. She responds to the gospel, and her life is forever changed. Next week, we're going to talk about what she does with her changed life. What she does when the revelation of Christ comes to her and how she lives that out. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want to ask you two questions as we close. As we close this morning, I want to just encourage you that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. And it's going to be different. It's not going to be by Jacob's well. And it's not going to be in this moment. And maybe you haven't been rejected five times like this woman has in this moment. But your rejection, nonetheless, is that much, that much more stinging or just as stinging. And it's just as debilitating. And you found yourself wondering wondering in this moment of where jesus is wondering in this moment of do i have this living water the question i have for you is the living water in you is jesus alive in you is the eternal life and living water inside of you just like ray responded to the gospel and he, he acted out in obedience he said i want the living water and he invited and responded to what Jesus was doing. He responded to Jesus calling. He said, Jesus, I want you to come live inside of me and give me this living water that satisfies all thirst. And the second question, and maybe it's the same or maybe it's different, but what are you thirsty for right now? What are you thirsty for? Is there something that you're thirsty for other, other than that of Jesus? Is there something that you're thirsty for and you've been looking and looking and looking you just haven't found it and, and, and as a result you have isolated yourself? The Lord is saying, I want to give you, I want to give you living water. Let me pray for you as we close today. Jesus, I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you for the woman at the well and I thank you, Jesus, that you want to cross every boundary to show that you love every tribe every tongue, every language, that you love, God, male and female. You created them in a way, God, that's so complimentary, God, and we just are so grateful for it, Lord Jesus. And you have engaged us when we have isolated, and you are engaging us when we are rejecting and when we feel rejected. 
Lord, for anybody in here this morning before we leave today, if they're dealing with any kind of self-rejection, where they're dealing with a moment that really started shaping them and they find themselves doing life alone, at the well alone, Jesus, I want to pray for them. I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would touch them. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning so I can just pray for you? Thank you so much. Thank you. God, we just thank you so much for who you are, Lord. You see the hands raised. You see the hands raised. I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would put living water inside of them. Living water that satisfies. You are the gift giver. So where they feel thirsty, where they feel inadequate, where they feel shame, where they feel guilt, where they feel condemnation, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would replace it with joy. You replace it with love. You would replace it with truth. Jesus, be their water today. We love you, Lord. Amen.